go ahead and uh, get moving here. Uh, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans, we'll be continuing our study of Paul's letter, um, picking up in chapter 1. Uh, so for those of you um, who may not have been here the last couple weeks, so the first week uh, we spent looking at verses 1 through 15, which is the letter's introduction, and talked a lot about how um, Paul uh, went to great lengths to explain um, who he is, and not particularly who he is in himself, but who he is in relation to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, expressing his deep uh, longing and desire to be with the Romans for this mutual encouragement. Last week, uh, we spent just looking at verses 16 and 17, which are, are really the thesis statement of the book of Romans. Um, uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall, be, the righteous shall live by faith. Um, and these are the verses that Paul really is going to be, for the next 11 chapters, uh, working out the various implications of what it means that the righteous shall live by faith. Um, so today we'll pick up in chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. I'll actually start when I read, I'll start in verse 16, but before I read, let me uh, pray for us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you for your word uh, that even though the heavens and earth uh, declare your glory and make uh, visible um, your invisible characteristics, your power and your glory, um, that you have not just left us with the testimony of the created order, but you have given us your word, that um, you have given us the words of uh, your prophets and apostles, and uh, that you give us an insight into your very mind uh, through what you have spoken to men uh, long ago. And we thank you even more for how uh, you made that word incarnate in the giving of your son, Jesus Christ, who took on flesh, even though he was very God of very God, uh, became a, a mortal being in order to make that perfect sacrifice for sin and that uh, you raised him to heaven and giving us a foretaste of the resurrection that we long for. We ask that uh, you would um, speak to us this morning about your gospel, even as we focus on your wrath and how that um, bad news of the universality of sin drives us to the good news of the cross of Christ, whereby we find righteousness that comes by faith. Um, so we ask that your spirit would guide us into all truth this morning, uh, help us to see uh, the human condition as bleak as you see it, that we all stand before you unrighteous and guilty apart from the saving work of Christ, and help um, this message give us a longing to share the gospel with those who are lost and under your wrath without that good news of Christ. Uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit as we discuss your word together this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so beginning in verse 18 of chapter 1, Paul is now beginning the first major um, section 
of the book of Romans. And this is a section that goes until Romans 3.20. And the main theme of this first section um, is a sense, you know, as we saw last week um, with this for I'm not ashamed of the gospel idea, um, he's working out the implications of why God's righteousness must come to humans by faith because no one possesses self-righteousness. Indeed, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that is the message of Romans 1, 18 to 320. Um, he says in verse 18 of chapter 1, God's wrath falls on all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Uh, chapter 2, verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. Um, chapter 3, verse 9, all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And then culminating in chapter 3, verse 20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So that is going to be the persistent message over the next couple of weeks as Paul runs through um, all these different reasons why human beings cannot achieve right standing before God on the basis of their own works. Um, so we will start this first major teaching section of Romans. Uh, I'll start just for context in, in chapter 1, verses 16, um, but we'll be focusing on verses 18 through 32. So hear now the word of God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, 
haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but to give approval to those who practice them. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we discuss it this morning. Okay, so here we have um, the gospel's judgment of all men. It's not the polemic of one group of people against another group of people, but this section depicts humanity as humanity appears in the light of God's cross. It's not a description of especially bad men only, but it's the innermost truth about all of us, as we are in ourselves. Paul indicts all humans, all are under powers, sin's power to such a degree that only God's power, unleashed in the good news of Jesus Christ, can rescue them. So let's start with this idea of the wrath of God. So what does it mean that the wrath of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness? Why is God's wrath being revealed? How is it being revealed? That's three questions, I know. But. <laughs> so what does it mean that God's wrath is being revealed? And notice it, it's a present tense verb there. So it's not will be revealed. It's not has been revealed. It's an ongoing present. Is being revealed. Yeah, that, and we'll see that um, some people have described this chapter as kind of presenting a, a cycle of sin, that it, it, it's this um, idea that it's our sinfulness as it's being punished by God leads us to more sinfulness, um, or we choose uh, to dive deeper into sinfulness. We become more hardened and hardened to sin's presence around us that allows us to become... Um, deeper, uh, trapped deeper and deeper in this clawing, grasping of sinfulness. Good. What else might we say the wrath of God means? Yeah, that it's, um, and as he starts, the first thing he, he's saying here is that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Like, it, this whole, his first section of dealing with the universal sinfulness of humanity is understanding the sinfulness of humanity apart from special revelation. Like, we don't need an outside direct word from God to, to demonstrate God's presence and human sinfulness. God has created in his natural order a message. He's revealed himself in this, that, um, and that revelation is plain and clear to all. So when we sin, we're not sinning from ignorance. We can't claim, oh, I didn't know. Um, you know, I didn't know the speed limit was 30. Um, that's why I was going 85. Um, 
you know, we, we can't claim, and even in our society, ignorance is no excuse. Like, I'd still get a ticket if that happened. That didn't happen, by the way. <laughs> um, but if it did, like, the cop would just roll his eyes at me and give me the ticket. Like, like ignorance is not an excuse. But Paul isn't saying humanity is sinning out of ignorance of the truth. As Jay's saying, they're sinning when they sin. They're actively suppressing the truth. Um, it, it's not a, a work of not knowing. It's a work they should know better, but they choose to, to do something else. Um, so sin is an, an active repressing of the truth of God's existence. Yeah, Jay, go. Yeah, and when we, um, Tim Keller has a great phrase that captures exactly what you're saying. We take a good thing, in this case, a beautiful sunset on a reservoir, and make it our God thing. Like, we, we make that the ultimate reality and missing the existence of God, this much glorious thing that lies behind all beauty and all the goodness that, that God instilled into creation all of that should should is, is screaming, <laughs> as the psalmist describes, like shouting forth day and night the existence, and not just the mere existence, but as Paul's saying here, the attributes of this great creator God that lies behind all this material reality. Matthew, you were
Yeah, and as we think about God's wrath, it's it's not like it's not like our anger. Like, you know, it's not my. I don't know why I think of myself in the car. So it's speeding earlier. Now it's what's going on in my mind as I drive to work every like. Like I don't even have to physically interact with someone else to be you know, like angry <laughs> at them and to you be you know creating all these hateful scenarios in my head. Um, God's anger is that. That, that perfect wrath against this, again, willful rejection of him. Like at the root of it, just as, as we'll see Paul's message, righteousness comes by faith, unrighteousness comes from willful unbelief. Like, you know, this stubborn unbelief in God. And from that, fundamental idolatrous action, all immorality, you know, flows from it. And as you say, all the hate of man against man. Like, and I, like, as we're not going to get a, well, we can't dig through the entire list at the end. Um, but, like, certain ones, like, inventors of evil. <laughs> it's like we constantly come up with new ways of doing evil things. Like, uh, uh, my um, Old Testament, or one of my Old Testament professors used to say, sin is the most incontrovertible theological truth there is. Like, I don't have to prove its universality. I don't have to prove that, that, uh, that it exists everywhere and everyone. Every human being, every day from infancy to death demonstrates it. Like, it and it fundamentally, Paul's saying, um, God's wrath is, is, is demonstrated by the way we devour one another, as Matthew's saying. Yeah, Bill. Yeah, and as you say, like, we are created for this purpose, to give glory and worship to God. Again, as Tim Keller says, you know, talking about these verses, we're telic creatures. We're, we have a purpose, um, and we, we act according to our purpose. And what happens, and what Paul is describing, um, you know, is we exchange, we, we still act according to purpose, but we continue to worship, we continue to glorify, we're still doing the thing we're intended to, but rather than worshiping and glorifying the creator, we worship and glorify the created things. We're still going to worship and glorify something. Um, and, and that's what Paul's saying. We're going to act according to the way God's made us, but because we're bent by sin, rather than giving God the glory, rather than giving God the worship, then we turn aside and we start worshiping and glorifying all these created things. It's misplaced worship. It's misplaced glory. It's this, not only does 
as Matthew said, you know, Paul re repeatedly uses this phrase, God gave them up. He also repeatedly uses the word exchanged. Like, and that's what humans are doing. We're exchanging something that God has given us. Uh, in this case, you know, this, this glorious creation that testifies to who he is um, as the immortal, invisible, all-powerful God. Um, and we exchange it for base things of, you know, wood and metal and stone, creating images of creation and worshiping them, um, you know. And, and, and we don't have to be people who set up idols, like, in our living room. Like, the way we make idols every day out of all kinds of created things and put our hope, put our aspirations, um, put our admiration, um, our worship, what we think is worthy to be upheld before the world and the things that God has created rather than in this great and glorious creator. Yeah, in the natural, like, we don't have to, like, sometimes we see the natural consequences of sin being punished. But Paul is saying the natural consequences of sin is people keep on sinning more and more and more. And it's like, um, you know, they're increasing the weight that's dragging them to the bottom of the ocean that they're drowning in. Like, it's like, they are... You know, so we can look at them and say, as you know, the psalmist does, like, I look at the wicked and like they're fat and happy and they, they don't seem to suffer troubles like other men. And, and then he, he's like, but their fatness and their happiness and their pleasures are all the things that are keeping them from God. Those are the things that are weighing them down to destruction. Um, and keeping them from the ultimate thing, the ultimate good. Um, so, again, it's this idea, um, as Matthew said, it made me think of a um, quote from Oscar Wilde, like, when the gods want to punish us, they give us what, they answer our prayers, they give us what we want. And, and that's the idea, like, we want the lust of our heart, and we get them to our destruction. Um, it's like we follow our... Um, desires, and the word lust in verse 24, um, it, the root is really, it takes two words, over desire, <laughs> and that's the kind of squishes, like lust is our over desires, like it's like the machine that is turned on full blast <laughs> and into the destruction of the machine rather than to its normal functioning. So 
Like, again, it's taking the good things that God has made and given us, and we turn those by our misuse of them, by our over-desires for them, into destructive things. Um, and, and as we like, you know, think of, like, you know, material goods are, you know, God has created these things for our benefit and blessing, and yet when we set our hearts on it, and those become the only thing that we seek after, it destroys us. Like God has created sex for a particular purpose within the bonds of a marriage between a man and a woman. But when we pursue sex or make sex the goal of our being and the fundamental aspect of who we are as human beings, we've perverted the good thing that God has given us, and, and we take it and we destroy ourselves by the pursuit of that thing. And that's the kind of cycle I think that Paul is presenting here for us. And it's how the wrath of God is being revealed. Not just in Paul's day, um, not just in the prophet's day, not just in a future day, but in our day. Like We see and should see the wrath of God being unfolded around us all the time. Um, and that should make us you know, long to see the redemptive power of God through this righteousness that comes by faith break forth into this world. Yeah, uh, and as Calvin said, like, you know, our hearts are idle factories. Like, again, like, we, um, we are created to, to worship, and it's so easy to divert the worship, the attention, the demands of our life from the things that God intends for us and, and you know, what's our chief end, to glorify God and enjoy him forever, to satisfy ourselves with the scraps rather than looking after the, the main meal, the main course. And like, like it's, it's the way that sin bends us. Um, Augustine uses the word like um, curvatas to describe what sin has done to human nature. Like, so you can kind of think like it's a, if it's a needle, it's a needle that's bent towards evil. <laughs> um, like we're inclined that direction. So even though we might still be functioning as human beings function, we have this bentness towards evil. Um, and we might think everything's all right until we see it from God's perspective. You know, God, we, we need the gospel to show, the, show us, like so Paul, like 
is shining the light on the things that we should have seen ourselves but have missed. Like, and it's again, we, we, natural revelation is not sufficient. Like we need something else because if we are left to natural revelation, as Paul says, all that does is leave us without excuse. All we can do with that is demonstrate our guiltiness, our sinfulness, our failure to honor and follow God as we ought. Um, we need something from outside ourselves in order to demonstrate to us the bentness of our sin. Um, my favorite description of when um, I, when I taught Augustine's um, uh, confessions and we talked about curvitas, um, I used to use the illustration when I worked in, it's another bread plant illustration, sorry, all my, all my illustrations come from the sunbeam bread plant I worked for for four years. Um, and uh, there, there was a machine, um, and I'm sure now it's like done by lasers or something more effective, but the, you know, everything was automated, and so the bread fell into the pan. In this case, it was a stream of dough that came out and got cut every time a pan was underneath it. Um, so, you know, so machine, and it knew when a pan was underneath it because the pan would hit a wire, and that would signal the thing to drop the, um, you know, the plop of dough in there. It, again, it wasn't, it was weird. It was, it was a liquidy kind of wet dough, and that's why I don't eat white bread. Um, <laughs> sliced white bread that comes in stores, not the white bread I make. Um, uh, but w one time, um, that, that wire got bent just a little, you know, wasn't enough to, to stop the machine. So the bentness of that wire, what that meant was instead of dropping the plop of dough right in the middle of the pan every time, it dropped it perfectly right in between each pan. And it kept doing this. Um, I, I, I don't think I was putting the pans on the line. Maybe I was. Um, so, you know, there were two people, basically one person on this side of the machine putting the pans on the line, and then a person on this side of the machine that as the pans came down, they get loaded on a cart and, you know, stacked 10 high. So all he did was move the cart once the cart was full. So this machine kept dropping the plop of dough in between for a good while <laughs> before anybody noticed that, wait, there's dough everywhere <laughs> over every inch of the conveyor belt. And, and let me tell you, getting the dough off that conveyor belt, like because this stuff had the consistency of glue, was no easy task. <laughs> but that's what sin is. It's, it's like this destructive bentness of human beings that we think we're functioning normally and we think that all we have, but all we're doing is making a bigger and bigger and bigger mess unless God intervenes. And notice how Paul, like, in the midst of this bleak, bleak description, like, breaks in, you know, has to break in, you know, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen. Like, he has to inject our, in the midst of this bleak portrait, our only hope is that God, the creator, doing something to remedy our unrighteousness. So good, so we've, we've mentioned that three times Paul uses the word exchange and three times he uses 
the phrase, God gave them up. So let's, let's do the exchange one first. So what are human beings exchanging? Like, think of this like a swap. <laughs> um, like, you know, you've heard the stories of like someone starting with like, you know, some cheap thing and then trading their way up to a Lexus or something. Um, like, this is the opposite. We start with a Lexus and we trade our way <laughs> down. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, what, what are some of the ways we're, uh, what are some of the things we're swapping um, in this passage? What are some of the ways we see human beings making an exchange? Yeah, so the first exchange is we are exchanging the God who made all things for idols. We're exchanging the worship of the creator for the worship of the created thing. Um, you know, and, and it's this idea, like, you know, uh, we are, um, you know, making this swap. And instead of acknowledging God as God by glorifying him and thanking him, Human beings pervert their knowledge and sink into idolatry. Given the opportunity to bask in the glory of the immortal God, people have rather chosen in their folly to worship the images of mortal human beings and beasts. We're made to worship and to give glory to God, and when we repress the knowledge of God, we don't stop worshiping and giving glory. We just simply redirect that. We exchange the glory of the immortal God for the, the glory of God of mortal things made of our own hands. Um, so it's like we're exchanging God for something that's not God. That's a bad swap. <laughs> um, good. What else are we exchanging? Yeah, we're exchanging the truth for a lie. Um, you, know, you know, exchanging the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Um, and it's this I idea he has before, um, you know, uh, uh, hold on. Um, uh, you know, in verse 21, uh, they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Like, and what could be more foolish than exchanging truth for a lie? And, and that's, you know, so often what, what we're doing, like we, we take God's truth. Yeah, I know that's what God says, or I know that that's how the world works, but I'm going to do what I want. Um, and again, it's that kind of putting the lie uh, of I'm self-sufficient and, and, and self-autonomous. You know, that I think is the fundamental lie that we see like even in the garden, you know, it's this, did God really say, I, I want to do what I want to do rather than what God has told me to do? Bill. Yeah, I always think of um, most people, like when we think of Jonathan Edwards, we think of like famous sermons he wrote, but Jonathan Edwards was an amazing 
philosophical, scientific mind, and he wrote these like nature studies. Um, but well, probably the reason we don't think of him uh, with these science pursuits, because he wasn't pursuing science for science sake. He was pursuing his study, like he's got this great like description of a, a spider that lives underwater. Like, and so this fact, like how can a spider um, live underwater, this land creature, how can it survive underwater? And he gives this great description of it. But he's not interested so much in the spider for the spider's sake, but the glory of a God who can create this tiny little creature who, um, and equip that tiny little creature with a mechanism to survive in a way that creature has no business surviving. Um, in an environment that, like, you know, should mean death, and yet, so, so for him, like, I think is a good example of studying nature or creation to, to understand the wisdom and power and the glory of God rather than in the glory of the thing itself. Which truth? I think it's fundamentally the truth of God's existence, like the truth that there is a God. Um, and in his, in his equation, like he's starting with idolatry and then we end with immorality. Like, and, but it starts with us denying the reality, the power of God, and when we deny that, that truth, that fundamental truth that God's a creator, then that frees us to, to pursue any kind of sin without boundaries. Like, if we understand that there's a God who created things, and he created things for a purpose, and he created things um, with boundaries, human sinfulness denies God's um, creative power, and then that frees them to, to pursue their over-desires, which is why I think he leads his list of human sinfulness with homosexuality because here it's human beings denying God's power and presence over them and that allows them to act in unnatural ways, to act against God's created order. Like, so for him, that's like the emblematic sin of what it means to make this exchange. And that is the, um, if you're counting, the third exchange is this exchanging the proper use of sexuality for its improper use. Um, so the third exchange is, and it's, again, it's that exchange. Why is he signaling that exchange out? Because as he's explaining this, like God's created a natural order, and when we deny that natural order, that frees us to act in unnatural ways. And, and that's kind of, I think, the logic that he's unfolding here. So three exchanges. We also have three God giving them over. So one, what does it mean that God gave them up or God gives them over? Um, your translation might have. So three times he says this. So how do we understand um, what this action is and what are the consequences of God giving them up? So we see on the one hand, human beings, we're exchanging good for evil, <laughs> truth for a lie, 
uh, the creator for the created, um, all bad exchanges. Um, this is like why I don't go to swap meets. <laughs> I'll make a bad deal. Um, you know, uh, but then we have this, God is not passive and just letting us uh, slide. God is active, and so three times we see God gave them up. God gave them over. Um, well, how do we understand that? Yes, Sid. Yeah, and it's that hardening effects of sin. Like, you know, we become callous to it. Um, we become unfeeling to it. Like, um, I, I had friends um, who uh, their dad was a pharmacist, and his two sons basically were, this was early 90s, were right at the beginning of like kind of online um, merchandising. Um, they we're kind of at the forefront of selling products for people who have diabetes. And so I learned a lot about diabetes from having these friends. And like they talked about like this idea, like, you know, when you lose sensation in your feet, like if you don't, if your shoes rub you the wrong way, like it's gonna just keep wearing away at your heel and you never feel it. Like I've got, I, I wore shoes yesterday without socks, um, contrary to what my mother taught me. Um, and, and the heel of that shoe, like, you know, gave me a blister on the back. But imagine if I couldn't feel that blister and I kept wearing those shoes. Like, you know, it would just keep wearing and wearing away until finally, like, you know, might start getting gangrene on my heel and you have to amputate my foot. And, and it's that kind of, you know, God has, in his natural order, created sin having consequences. It's gone. <laughs> it's yeah, and here I think Paul especially is is giving this critique of the Greco-Roman society around him, like you know that this is a society that is bound in and of itself for destruction. And as you say, the very things that you know, like he's listing here end up being the things that you know, weaken the tendons that held this empire together and allowed it to, to be conquered. Um, uh, and it's the destructive effect. And, it, and it's not just 
passive in the sense that God made it to happen this way. It's active. This is God actively pouring out wrath on us, kind of the same way we see God hardening Pharaoh's heart by letting Pharaoh do the exact kind of things that Pharaoh wanted to do to Pharaoh's destruction, even though Pharaoh's counselors are telling him, don't do that. <laughs> do you not see? Are you blind? <laughs> What's going to happen if you keep acting this way? And he's like, nope, going to do what I want. And that's Pharaoh, you know, and, and I love how um, in, in Exodus it describes both Pharaoh hardens his heart and God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Like it's not God doing something against Pharaoh's will. It's God letting Pharaoh do exactly what Pharaoh wants to the Pharaoh's utter and complete destruction. And that's and that is the wrath we are under now. Like again, like this isn't a future thing, like we should see the unfolding of this wrath constantly every day in the society around us as it's taking the things that God has said is evil and saying, no, that's not evil, that's good. Taking the order that God's created and flipping it on its head and trying to say, well, that's, it's, it doesn't work like that, it works like this. Like, and, and that's the exchange we see every day. And God is giving us up to those destructive desires that we possess, and we're getting worse and worse and worse. And this is why we have no hope in ourselves. <laughs> Left to ourselves, we'll, we'll wreck the whole thing. <laughs> um, and, and maybe someone else will come and start, uh, you know, a, a new kingdom, a new society. Give it time. <laughs> it's run by human beings. It will be destroyed. That's why there's only one kingdom that will last, and that's the kingdom that God himself has instituted through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Like, that is the one eternal kingdom. Because every other kingdom, because it's run by unrighteous human beings, will destroy itself. Yeah, when I think of that verse, I always think of um, the story of A.W. Pink. Um, A.W. Pink, who went on to become um, a, a theologian um, and you know a, a godly minister of the gospel, started off as a um, oh he was a member of like Theosophical societies. Um, so you know, um, Theosophy was the uh, late 19th, early 20th century kind of interested in. Uh, fortune telling and kind of mystical things, but devoid from all um, Christianity and and any kind of organized religion. And and that's what A. W. Pink was deep into that. Um, and he was staying with his going to a the theosophical lecture, or going to give a theosophical lecture, if I'm remembering the story correctly. And he is staying at his dad's house. And as he's going out the door to go give this address. His dad said that verse to him. And that was the verse that ended up leading to his conversion. That, like, there's a way a man, it's right in his own eyes, but in the end it leads to destruction. Um, and that caused A.W. Pink to see, yeah, I'm following my own path, my own desires. 
and my own desires lead to no fruitful end. Like, in the end, it's empty. Um, in the end, it doesn't satisfy. Um, as Brian said, like, you know, you binge and eat all the Halloween candy, and the next day, you know, you're unhappy because <laughs> you don't have any Halloween candy left anymore, and the Halloween candy you had didn't really satisfy you. Um, it, it didn't make you feel as good or lead to the enjoyment you wanted. Like, it's, it's, it's empty, um, and not just empty, but it's under judgment. Um, it's destructive unless an intervention takes place. Um, and again, like, it, it, he's giving us the bleak part of the diagnosis here, and he's setting us up for this great proclamation of the gospel he's going to give us in chapter 3 and 4. Like, he's going to give us the antidote. But before we can get the cure, he wants to give us the symptoms. And Paul, being um, a, a good uh, apostle of Christ, um, a good apostle of the great physician, is giving us a pretty... Um, damning diagnosis of the human condition. Um, and it, like in verse 32, like the, the escalating part of it is um, it's not just that we ourselves do these things, but we encourage other people to do them. Like um, as John Murray said, we are not only bent on damning ourselves but we congratulate others in doing of the things that we know have their issue in damnation. So it's like, you know, we're, we're heading to hell and we're cheering on the other people around us. Yeah, like, like that's not my thing, but you go do it, even though it's destructive. Um, and this is what we are. Um, you know, we are, uh, you know, all this list of things. And again, this, um, this list of vices is a common device both in scripture but also in secular uh, Greek literature of the time had these kind of vice lists. So it's not meant to be exhaustive, but it is supposed to reflect the broadness um, of um, man's inhumanity against uh, man. Like, like we, our broken relationship with God leads to broken relationships with one another, like, and we end up consuming one another. You know, it destroys families, it destroys societies, it destroys um, personal relationships, it destroys corporate relations. Like, sin left un, um, unimpeded will lead to destruction, um, and we need an intervention. I know, great Thanks, Steve, for a really uh, <laughs> happy Sunday school. Not always painful. Not always.
And trust in the transforming power of this gospel that Paul is seeking to proclaim. Like, again, like, and we have another chapter and a half of this. So, <laughs> like, you know, we're stopping today because we're concluding chapter one, but we're not stopping Paul's diagnosis of human sinfulness. Like, if his message here is, like, and some people break it, like, he's focused more on pagan society and its unrighteousness and then he's going to switch to Jewish society and its unrighteousness. It takes different forms. <laughs> it comes in a different package, but it's just as empty and destructive as, as what we see in this package. Um, and, and that's the way all people, Jews and Greeks, all humanity, it, this is our condition apart from the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God doing a work in us by faith. Um, that is the only way we can get the righteousness that leads unto salvation. Um, that's the only way that that curvitas can be corrected. It needs an outside intervention. It's not going to fix it. We're not going to fix ourselves. We can't fix societies. We can only hope in the creator God transforming us, doing a, like, you know, something alien to us by giving us this outside righteousness. And that is a good thing to, to end on. Um, so, uh, so keep this in mind, like, as we come back next week uh, and get into chapter two, like, he's presenting a universal picture of sinfulness to lead us to this idea that there's only one way, there's only one hope and that's faith in Jesus Christ. Gracious God, we do thank you for your gospel, uh, your good news. And we know that um, we're never going to receive that good news. We're never going to treasure it and value it until we see our need for it. So we thank you that um, you do expose us for who we are, that you haven't just left us to the revelation of nature um, which is enough to lead us without excuse, but that you have, um, in your word, uh, given us a, a, a path to salvation. You've given us a message of hope. You've given us the glorious gospel of the good news of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we pray for your Holy Spirit. May it uh, continue to um, expose the sinful corners of our lives to ourselves, that the light of gospel will um, always be showing us our sin, that we can always be seeing our need for a Savior, that the life that you've begun in us uh, by faith needs to be for faith, that that life would continue to work itself um, in us and through us, that we deepen and deepen our faith and trust in Jesus Christ,
as we deepen and deepen in our understanding of the, the sinfulness that we possess, the guilt that we um, uh, hangs over us, that it is only your good news that can deliver us from the death that we deserve and deliver us from our own selfish over-desires. Help us set our desire on you uh, through your Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.